Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the main show, Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you joined us again this week. And I am also extremely thrilled for the guests I have on. It's been a couple years. Me and this guy talk, it feels like almost every day, about movies on Twitter, social media. I love this guy, especially during award season, but year-round, he's just a glorious dude to follow over there. Matt from Next Best Picture is back on the show. What's up, Matt? Welcome back, man. What a lovely introduction. I, I appreciate that so much. I cannot begin to tell you. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's been a minute, like you said, but man, am I, I'm too busy. I, I don't you know are. what I work myself to death. <laughs> and I, I was telling somebody earlier, I like, like this is our off season right now. Post Oscars. Right. I should not be this busy currently. I should be taking it easy, sitting on a beach I somewhere. I know. I mean, I hit you up. I waited till like, you know, we went through award season, which was just, all, it's always so crazy. Mm -hmm. it, it's going through March, like bring it back a little bit, you know, February, maybe, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But anyway, it goes on so long. And I know you're so busy, man, with Next Best Picture, and it's it's my favorite outlet during award season. Like Thank I you. immediately go to NBP for like any information that I need, any predictions. So I love following you guys during award season, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, this guy has got to be exhausted. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much. You guys are relentless over there, and I really, as a movie fan, as an awards fan, I just want to say thank you. You guys are killing it. Thank you. That means a lot to me, truly. I definitely do work myself to the bone uh and yeah. i don't give myself a breather but it's all for the audience i always my guiding principle is always just thinking back to being younger and not having an outlet not knowing where to go for this information and right wanting to discuss this stuff and wanting to dive deeper into the joys that is not just award season but just movies in general and right. i always think about who is that person out there today that is looking for an outlet that is going to be able to cater towards that desire. And so that's all that I'm just trying to bring to people. Well, you're doing a great job, man. You and the team over there, I commend you for sure. And as a fan, like I said, it's awesome to be a part of it. So keep doing what you're doing. Now, Matt, when you came on a couple of years ago, you know, I hit you up and it must have been post award season, I'm sure back then too. But I said, one of, I'm, I was a fanboy of A24. I still am. And I love their movies. And there's just something about the brand A24 that just really just is magnetic for me personally. And so we did a top five and it was right around when the Green Knight came out. I remember that at the time. So it's been a couple of years, but we're kind of doing something similar this evening. So first of all, I apologize. I, I promise I'm going to have you on for something that's non-movie studio related. But here we are again, another kind of hip, influential up and coming, I, although they've definitely made it. I don't want to give away any titles quite yet because we're going to get into them. But tell everyone what is the top five tonight? What are we counting down tonight? We are counting down our top five favorite neon films. You see what That's I did? Right. There? I tried to do like a neon glow or something. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't it, know what that was just now. But <laughs> That was fine. No, you improvised. You did good. Yeah, our top five from the Neon Studios catalog. So talk to me a little bit about what you think they've been able to do. I got a couple just basic facts. They were founded in 2017, so they're mm -hmm. 
fairly new. I mean, they're only six yes. years old. By Tim League, who also founded Alamo Drafthouse or was a co-founder for Alamo Drafthouse. Right. So I love this dude. <laughs> I love both of those things. What do you think about Neon? Where do they fit in the whole story right now cinematically? Well, I mean, I think that when people think of Neon, they immediately probably think of A24 and how the two mm-hmm. in a lot of ways are very similar uh, companies. I think A24 very much has a brand more so than anything as far as like the types of films that they typically tend to produce. But Neon, while they don't have that established brand quite yet, there's a similar type of film that does go there. It's not a high budgeted, glossy studio type of project. You're getting stuff from artists that ultimately represent what I guess Martin Scorsese would define as cinema. And a lot of the times it has a very independent, scrappy feeling to it, um, while also highlighting what I think is very uh, bold storytelling. There's a lot of really, really great titles from Neon. I would never go so far as to say that they are a uh, mainstream studio, right? But I definitely, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't say that they are discount A twenty four either. It's not like oh, A twenty four doesn't want this; it's going to go to Neon. Right. I don't see it that way. I see them both like kind of on an equal level playing field. The only difference is A twenty four just has a more established brand. Sure, yeah, more recognizable in that way. Yeah, and I think Neon is still kind of finding itself a little bit in terms of what their brand is. Well, I just want to tell you, I agree with what you said. I just want to tell you, though, I was, you know, I knew we were going to do this topic and I sent you that link from the Neon website that has all their films that have been released theatrically and so on. And I'm going through it. And there's two things that I want to mention to you as Mr. NBP. I probably half of them are probably a blind spot for me Mm. that I just haven't seen uh, a few that I hadn't even heard of as I was going through the catalog. But the ones that I have seen in the Neon catalog, are like fucking bangers. Like they're nice. all like four to five star movies, like some of my favorite films in their respective years. So I don't know if that's the case with their entire catalog because there's several that I haven't seen, but I just feel like the quality is so high on the Neon catalog. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I definitely think the quality is completely there and whether it's something that is going to make it into like my top 10 at the end of the year or if it's just something that I particularly really like. I find that there's always a lot of merit within their films and they're usually a studio that the minute I see their name is attached to something, I have to stand up and take notice. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, especially as someone who is strapped for time and usually trying to work his way through uh, what film is going to be worth my time. I do make time for neon films, literally all of them, whether they're documentary or if they're foreign language films. um, I honestly, I try to watch usually every title that they put out on a yearly basis. Yeah, I could see why. I mean, like I said, the quality is just astounding. I mean, every, I'm not even joking you. Every movie on that list that I sent you that I've seen, I love. Yeah. So In that respect, I'll ask you real quick, because my answer is it was pretty difficult to narrow this down to five. We do have some honorable mentions, but I mean, to get that five that I wanted to really talk about tonight was somewhat tough because I had to leave some out. What about coming up with your list, Matt? Was this easy for you or was it kind of a daunting task? 
Uh, no, this was easy for me. Uh, you know, here's the thing about Neon is that they don't produce that many films per year and they also haven't been around that long. So for me, it was very easy to narrow it down. I also know which films made it into my top 10 in their respective years, which films sure, were close yeah. and which films over time I've rewatched and I've come to really enjoy and love. You know, I had one year uh, fairly recently, actually, where Neon, I think, had three films in my top 10. Uh, for mm-hmm. that year. Um, so wow. they, they, they had a really, really good uh, yeah. run with me in particular. <laughs> yeah, I think me too. I think we might have a little bit of crossover tonight because there's one movie I'm just head over heels for that I know you loved also because, you know, we follow each other and I'm familiar with your take on it as well. And then maybe one or two other ones. I got to be honest, it might be crossover crazy tonight, mm-hmm. which is completely fine. And, uh, I know your pool is a little bit deeper because you've probably seen, if not all of these, most of them. Uh, but like I said, there's about half in the neon catalog that I haven't put eyes on yet. So I was going to say I'm, I was looking at the uh, l- the list earlier, and I don't think there's a single neon film I haven't seen. Oh, great! That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me necessarily, but you know, you're you're you, man. You're Matt, so I know you're doing your thing over there. You're watching movies. That's what you do. I'm trying. All right, man. Well, you're doing your thing. All right, let's get into our top fives, Matt. So I'm going to let you kick us off. What is your top five movie from Neon? Starting at number five, uh, the first film on the list here is an indie film that had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in 2019, directed by Julius Ona. It is a movie that introduced me to Kelvin Harrison Jr. It's called Loose. And it stars mm-hmm. Naomi Watts, Octavia Spencer, Tim Roth, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. in this extraordinary breakthrough role. Uh, this was a movie that was very much grounded, I felt like, within reality that presented a very fascinating character study while also diving into some very topical, uh, complex societal issues of what it means to be a young black man in today's uh, society. And the performance from Octavia Spencer, especially as mm-hmm. this teacher that judges uh, loose due to the color of his skin, uh, is something that I thought was very well handled by Octavia Spencer. I thought it was one of her best performances she's ever given. And I was really, really sad to see that she couldn't get awards traction out of it. And here he is like this exceptionally gifted uh, kid who has everything going for him in life. And he is the adoptive uh, son of two uh, white parents, Tim Roth and Mm. uh, Naomi Watts. And it's just all about like this brewing tension that is uh, just uh, honestly putting pressure on this young man to be something that uh, society is telling him he should be, but then also discovering for himself who he should ultimately be. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a really, really, really great showcase for all of these actors. Very clever writing. I, I, I was knocked on my ass by it the first time I saw it, and I appreciated it every single time I've watched it since. Yeah, this is one that I have seen. Uh, I saw it on streaming, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it initially. I saw it later on, but I, I really enjoyed this film. I feel like what surprised me about it is I found out later that it was based on a play. Is that right? Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it is. Yeah. And this movie does not play, no pun intended, that way, which I really thought was really cool because a lot of times they'll get caught in that trap where the film is too you know, play-like or too kind of staged, if you will. And I didn't get that from this at all, the vibe in this movie. And I feel like there was a little bit of a psychological kind of thing going on throughout mm-hmm. in the through line through this film, too. You're kind of trying yes. to figure out 
if there's some, you know, stuff going on in the shadows, if you will, mm-hmm. which was always kind of there. And I agree. Octavia Spencer absolutely nailed it, man. She was so good in this movie. I need to revisit it, but that's one that I've seen and that I did really enjoy. So yeah. great pick to get us started, man. Loose. All right. Well, Matt, you know this and uh, all my listeners know this too, but I'm a horror guy. But shockingly, this is the only time that horror is going to really show up on my list. Although I do have one of my honorable mentions that kind of toes the line. But it's going to be Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Oh, man. Number five. Just such an experience. Uh, You know, I mean, taking from his father, who I'm also a huge fan of. But the film has so many amazing performances in it. And just aside from the performances, though, just like the visuals and the aesthetic and just this mindfuck that ride that thrill ride that Cronenberg takes you on is just something that is unforgettable in my opinion I've seen this movie like three or four times you know Mm -hmm. I've rewatched it and it's it was one of my favorite movies of that year across any genre Mm -hmm. and I just love how it just sticks with you it kind of just like gets under your skin and you know like I said you can't forget about it for days or at least I couldn't it's just such a memorable kind of visually stunning experience uh and then you add the performances on top of that and the direction is uncanny uh i love this one i'm excited to hear what you think about it so possessor my is my number five i mean this was a gnarly uh movie that you know i still think that brendan is kind of struggling a little bit to get out of the shadow of his father which is a little unfortunate but i think stylistically in terms of what he does with sound with the camera on a technical level I actually think that he has surpassed his father, if you ask me. Um, okay. His his screenplays uh, need a little bit of work. That's my only complaint here. But I still think that Possessor is his best movie to date uh, thematically in terms of the way that it's written. I was very, very, very shocked when I saw this at how gory it was. And yeah. I, I shouldn't have been, but it still managed to shock me regardless. I also uh, remember watching this at Sundance at midnight and oh, wow. <laughs> I remember struggling to figure out how I was going to get home after the screening, which has nothing to do with the movie at all. But this is just my memory right. of watching it. Sure. And yeah. so throughout the entire movie, I'm watching it and I was like, tr- I was stressed thinking, how am I getting home after this? How am I getting home? And then as the movie was going, I quickly forgot about all of that. And I was just mm-hmm. engrossed just from the first scene on because it was just such a high concept uh, sci-fi techno kind of thriller in in a way that um, also dealt with body horror. I mean, I I had a blast watching that movie. That movie was awesome. Yeah, I love it too, man. And I I love the 4K. I throw it on at least once or twice a year. And uh, it's one of my favorites in that kind of like horror sci-fi kind of marriage that come out of recently that I've really enjoyed. So it's my number five. I had to throw it in my top five. It, Barely, barely made the cut. You'll find out why when I get to my number six later on. But okay, as we can, as we continue through the list, what is your number four, Matt? Uh, number four is a period film from Celine Siama called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is a mm-hmm. movie that I thought should have gotten way more awards attention than it received the year it came out. I think it is a modern masterpiece. Um, it's been included on the Sight and Sound Critics Poll as one of the greatest films of all time. And while some people 
rolled their eyes at the inclusion of some new films on that list of uh, this past year. I thought that Portrait of a Lady on Fire deserved its spot. Um, it is this uh, romance, uh, queer romance uh, story between uh, two women uh, played brilliantly by Noemi Merlant and Adele Hanel. And I felt like the cinematography in that movie was unlike anything I had, quite frankly, had ever seen before. So visually, it was stunning. But the way that Celine Siama lets the story uh, unfold and play out in a way where just by mere glances and tones of silence, um, there's so much that's conveyed with so little um, and there is this like agony underneath like the the performances, but also to these moments of lightness and true beauty. Um, I find that a lot of times with forbidden love, like there's a lot of tropes that get repeated time and time again. But here it felt fresh and it felt different and presented in a way that I'm not one for slow cinema. I'm not one for quiet movies like that's usually not my thing. But I was completely engrossed in this from beginning to end. And if you or anyone has not seen this yet, uh, do yourself a favor because I mean, just as a piece of art, uh, it's immaculate. And the final few moments in particular are just absolutely, uh, heart heartbreaking. This is coming up on my list too. Um, I'll save a little commentary for when it comes up on my list. It's a little bit higher for me, but one thing I'll say, and I know you maybe share this sentiment a little bit as of late. Sometimes the word masterpiece gets thrown around a little bit by, mm-hmm. you know, in the film critic community, this is a masterpiece of yes. cinema. This is pure. I mean, it, it literally is. There's mm-hmm. two on my list that I feel like could be categorized as that. And there should be no reason that should be shrugged at. So it, it's one of those films where it's not number one or number two for me. Obviously it's number four, but that's my personal list. If you're sure. asking me or, or, you know, trying to figure out, take my own personal opinion out of it. Which films do I think um, would deserve to be put up there with some of the best of all time and be regarded as a masterpiece? Like you said, this mm-hmm. completely fits the bill and checks off Absolutely. not only a ton of boxes, but also uh, maybe unveils new boxes that you weren't even thinking of before. <laughs> right. And that's kind of a point I, I wanted to make. I agree with you hundred percent. It, it kind of almost like mastered a lot of the things cinematically they think about. You mentioned cinematography, which jumps out right away. Uh, obviously, the direction, the performances, a lot of things that go into making a film, the editing in this film is is flawless. But it's like there's other there's just a little extra to this movie, too. And it's just so special, kind of like how you said the way it plays out so subtly, you know, and it makes you a part of the proceedings. You know, it, it's almost like it's I mean, yes, it's telling you a story, of course, because that's what it is. But it almost makes you a part of the story, the way that you're kind of experiencing this movie. Uh, I, it was a very moving experience for me seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me started on the last frame, you know, <sighs> of this movie in the theater. I mean, it was like absolutely awe-inspiring. You know, I love this movie so much. It's also on my list. So great pick at number four. My number four is a little bit different. And, you know, it's funny I'm having you on for this episode, Matt, because I can remember texting you. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're going to remember this. It's been a few years, but I texted you when I went to see this because you had already seen it. And I think there was an embargo or whatever. So you were kind of like tight lipped on it. And I went to see it and I hit you up and you said something to me that has stuck with me in relation to this movie. Oh, boy. I'll just tell you what I'll just tell you what it is real quick. And then your quote is kind of like been embedded in my mind ever since. But it's um, Michael Sarnowski's Pig starring Nicolas Cage. Okay, It's my number four. I hit you up 
And I said, dude, I just saw a pig, OMG, or just something super basic, you know? Mm-hmm. And you respond and you responded to me and you said that few films have taken you by surprise like that movie did. Yes. And if you if you can remember back to when that movie came out, there was very little like marketing campaign aside from maybe like one trailer. And you think to yourself, Nick Cage in a scenario where somebody's taken his pet or killed his pet pig, this is going to be a bloody rampage revenge story. Like, you know what I mean? You just kind of think that inherently. Oh yeah. And what, what we get, I mean, we get like kind of like hints of that behind the scenes kind of playing out in his mind. It was leading up to the whole time. Yeah. Like, like the setup of the movie, everything, everything up until like the middle section, it was like, okay, this is playing out exactly as I expected right. it would. And I saw right. it, like and you said, I saw it way before a lot of other people did. Like, so when you say there was virtually no marketing, I had no <laughs> right. marketing, period. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, what I was going to say is what you get is just this beautiful character study mm-hmm. of this guy. And just, well, I, should, I say beautiful, but I mean, it was told beautifully, but just like a tragic study of this man and the loneliness that he has in his life now and he's left to reflect on his mistakes and his past and his loss and a lot of tremendous i mean alex wolf is fucking phenomenal in this movie yeah i mean, just so much great stuff comes from this movie but none of it is what i expected to walk away with like i didn't expect to walk away admiring this quiet tender tragic Nick Cage performance that mirrored like leaving Las Vegas. Like I just didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just beautiful. Like I wish that he had, you were talking about a war traction and I, I just wish that it would have been a little more prominent for this movie and for that role specifically. But yeah, I love pig. I know you're a fan of it as well, but that's my number four. What do you think, man? I think it's one of Nicholas Cage's best performances uh, to date. And I really think he should have been in the conversation for, I mean, he was in the conversation, but I think he should have been higher in the conversation for a Best Actor nomination. I remember the morning of the Oscars uh, of the nominations, and I will never, ever forget the original screenplay category announcement. And when being the Ricardos was not mentioned, I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, there's a film that they're going to announce last, and it's either going to be. And all of a sudden, like going through my brain, like in a few seconds, because there was like only over two other movies that they had to like announce before they got to it. But I remember thinking it's either Mass, Worst Person in the World or Pig uh, for screenplay. And I was thinking it was going to be Pig, but then it turned out to be Worst Person in the World. And I still, you know, went went crazy over it. But uh, at the same time, Pig (laughs) getting a screenplay nomination also would have been extremely worthy, in my opinion. I think it's such a strong and confident, bold directorial debut and kind of like what you said before as well it being this character study in a world that is not often explored within film and is done in a way where it is so beautifully conveyed through this character's tragedy uh his backstory is never fully revealed to us uh there's no flashbacks or anything like that right it's a very very mature and confident piece of storytelling and like i said i think nicholas cage you know, this coupled along with a few other performances that he's given us in recent years, he literally went from being like a laughing stock. Yeah. Box office poison. 
straight to DVD, you know, kind of, oh my God, like Nicolas Cage, what happened to your career to all of a sudden like rising up like a Phoenix from the ashes. And now he's like reborn mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And people are just appreciating him so much at this stage in his career for literally anything he does. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really, really cool. And pig has a large reason to do with that. Yeah. That kind of, that seesaw kind of started tipping a little bit towards the other side, you know, with like Mandy was amazing. I think mm-hmm. that was maybe the year before this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy knows what he's doing, you know, and if, and kind of to your point about the screenplay, if he has the material there and he has a good script and he can really sink his teeth into these characters that have a story and aren't just there to, you know, blow shit up or whatever, uh, you know, he can really do it, you know, and he, he really proved, proved me right there with pig. So, that's one of my favorites. That's my number four. Matt, we're over to you, man. What do you got at number three? Okay. Number three is a movie that I was greatly anticipating prior to its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in 2021. And then when it premiered and I heard the reactions to it, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be something special. This is going to be something different. It's Titan. This is oh, a nice. movie that you want to talk about taking me by surprise. Not only did it take me by surprise in terms of its content, but what really shocked me was the thematic commentary of what I thought the film was ultimately really about, which is multifaceted and has a lot of different interpretations to it. But this was a no holds barred, take no prisoners, kind of almost like a fuck you kind of movie to whatever you think a standard conventional film is supposed to be in terms of story beats, um, how it's supposed to unfold, the characters and how they are supposed to be likable. Um, they are presented, both of them, uh, the characters uh, played by Vincent Lindon and uh, uh, Agatha Roussel. They are not presented in a manner that I think is inherently at first approachable. But at the same time, uh, there is this vulnerability, there's a sadness, and there's kind of like cracks, if you will, that start to uh, form in their characters and their personas that they are putting up uh, for each other. Um, And Mm. through that connection that those two share, you end up like really, I think, just touching something that is so, so beautiful and profound by the end of it all. I will never forget when the movie was over, just like I I had to catch my breath. I was stunned yeah. sitting in my chair grasping uh you know my 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 uh, armchair uh, like i had a sweat around my hands because i i just didn't know what we were doing at a certain point in terms of like where the story was going to go and where it was going to take me what more could i possibly see that would surprise me uh i'm trying really hard not to use expletives here but you know there's some sure. fucked up shit in you this can. movie and i just didn't know like how far the envelope was going to get pushed you know yeah and to me that was extremely exciting that's the thing is that it's very rare when you see a piece of storytelling that is so highly original and something that uh truly not only takes you by surprise but you can walk out of it saying i've never seen anything like that before that is what makes that film so special for me i agree i agree 100 that's nothing like it i mean before it since since then i mean it is an absolutely unique it's a wholly unique experience and like you said it is fucked up (laughs) and as a movie fan i love that i love the just the courageous 
vibe of that movie. Yep. So many things in that film, you would just think like, I can't believe they shot this. <laughs> I can't nope. believe, I can't believe they laid this down. It made it through the, you know, editing room floor and here it is, you know, it's just crazy. And there's something to be said for that. And it, it's a, it's a memorable movie that whether you like it or not, like you'll never forget it. I mean, it's just so crazy. I, I love it. There's some, I love the scene uh, with the car for sure. Of course. Which is one of the more memorable to take away from this this movie. Mm-hmm. And you're watching that and you're going, because that's pretty early on in the film. And yes. you're going, wow, this <laughs> here we go. What I think is very interesting is that the first act of this movie is a violent or shocking act one after another. And then the film kind of slows down a little bit and knows moments of unpredictable violence stop. But yet you're on edge throughout the entire movie, wondering if that's ever going to come back. And then it starts to settle in into this, you know, this uh, really awkward, but yet sweet parental relationship drama between the two characters. And then by the time we get to the third act, like I said, you don't know where it's going because you've just never seen anything like this before. So there's nothing to really compare it to. And you're kind of just along for the ride. And so... Still to this day, I, I I think about that ending and I think about that final shot so much and how oh, much yeah. I just felt. I, I I like I I it's very rare, like so so rare that I'm stunned watching a movie. And right. I know people use that term, like you were saying. Oh, people use the term masterpiece. People say, "Oh, this is stunning." Oh, I was stunned watching it. Right. No, but truly, when you're literally like, yeah, yeah, like I literally was like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally sitting there stunned for yep. what that word means. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, you know, that that's a little different than my number three pick because my number three pick is much more quiet, okay, fair. much more not messing with you mentally. Uh, but it is a beautiful study uh, of a time in Princess Di's life and Spencer. Nice. Okay. This is on my list, too. Yeah, it was great, great. It was my favorite movie of that year. And, you know, Kristen Stewart and her performance has a lot to do with it. I was just such a huge fan of it. I, f- I feel like it was the best performance that year. It, of course, did not win. But just the way I, I feel like in my review, I said something to the effect of like a delicate lunacy in the mm-hmm. movie. Like she was at her breaking point, like the entire runtime, but she was, but she never broke really. It was always like right at that moment when somebody's about to explode and she just kind of held herself there the whole time. And as an actress, I just really was drawn to that. And I really commended it. I just felt like internally you could see, and we got a couple scenes here and there, uh, you know, the joke that she makes about masturbating and some other things where she like goes out of that princess character and you kind of see like, OK, maybe this is it. Maybe she's breaking here. Um, but she kind of keeps it bottled up because of the pressures of the royal family and kind of having that internal battle. And you kind of felt for her the entire time because of that. And you wanted her to break free, especially knowing, you know, what happened historically. So it's just such a tragic, beautiful film by Pablo Lorraine, who also did Jackie, which I also love, which I know is divisive, but I love that movie. I love and I feel like, you know, Natalie Portman is Jackie in that movie and Krista Stewart here is Princess Di. There's similarities there in the storytelling. And you kind of see that through his through his through his lens, too. You can kind of get get those those uh, parallels. 
So I love Spencer. Like I said, it was my favorite movie of that year. And it's my number three in the neon catalog. Since it's on your list, did you want to go ahead and talk about it? It's number two. Oh, okay. So you're just up next for you. So go ahead and talk yep. a little bit about it. It also was my uh, number one favorite film of uh, 2021 as well. Um, I thought it was the perfect uh, merger of performer and artist uh, coming together to create something that, you know, I do not like your typical standard biopic film. And there has been mm -hmm. so many recent examples. And so anytime that a biopic does something different than what we are conditioned nowadays to expect from the genre, I welcome that wholeheartedly. My favorite types of biopics are the ones that defy conventional standard. And Spencer mm -hmm. totally did away with that and presented something that was at times nightmarish, at times was defiant in terms of presenting this strong, rebellious uh, character who, like you said, was just kind of like holding it all together emotionally for her, the love of her children, really, uh, while she was just crumbling on the inside. Um, I thought it was such a beautiful performance from Kristen Stewart. Uh, absolutely heart aching. I am truly like I, I was so empathetic towards that character and the way that she portrayed it, whether it was real or not. Um, and the way that the movie does play with its facts, I know has always been mm -hmm. something that's been up for debate, but I find once again, that what makes the movie special is that it's not a straight biopic and that it does not necessarily obey uh, the facts. What it does is, is, is it instead is trying to get at the essence of who Princess Diana ultimately was and trying to convey that through um, not just through Kristen Stewart's performance and not just through the screenplay, but also the way that Pablo Lorraine shoots the movie, the way the movie is edited. This is a film mm -hmm. where every single craft department is firing on all cylinders to present yep. something that is a unique vision. And I really appreciated that wholeheartedly. So I will forever defend this movie. Um, I yeah. know that there are people who despise this movie and I understand <laughs> that, but at the same time, I think that what the movie is saying uh, ultimately is what counts more than even how it says it. Honestly, like I think that people need to look past the how sometimes. And really just kind of understand like what the filmmakers like intentions ultimately are a little bit better here. Everybody gets held up on, oh, they didn't do this correctly. Oh, she would never right. have done this. And it's well, the fact that it's an yeah. unconventional biopic, like you said, kind of, you know, kills that argument a little bit because that's that's also how i see it i mean it's not your conventional like timeline some people just can't get over that you know right no i know yeah for sure so do you think case two should have got the oscar here <laughs> yeah. right yeah i mean yeah what was it chastain that year right chastain yeah. was my number two that year and i didn't have a problem with her winning in the end so much so yeah. that like I, I was such a kristen stewart defender all season long that when i resigned myself to recognizing that chastain was going to win the Kristen Stewart fans started to come after me saying, oh, how could you abandon us? Oh, you were never a true fan. You know, oh, you jumped oh, ship. Oh, man. And I was like, no, listen, at the end of the day, like I could predict Kristen Stewart and be wrong or I could just predict Jessica Chastain and be right. And I would rather be right than anything when it yeah. comes to predictions. Uh, but at the same time, I like Chastain and Eyes of Tammy Faye. I didn't hate her in that movie. So I was totally OK with her winning. Um, if it couldn't be Kristen, I'm glad it was her. Sure. Yeah. There's a difference between preference and predictions. So tell, tell that to the internet. 
Uh, exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, Kristen Stewart was definitely my preference that year as well. So that's my mm-hmm. number three, and that was your number two. So we might be going crossover crazy here. My number two is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Nice. Which we are, which we already kind of talked about the cinematography, uh, the direction, the last shot of this movie is just literally the most heartbreaking piece of cinema. Like it's just, you just feel so many emotions from what you'd been watching the prior two hours. And it's just shot so beautifully. And the love story was so tender and real. It was, it, you know, this is a movie that like is so grandiose that like, you know, visually, but it's rooted in reality. Like you still kind of feel like you can kind of connect to what's going on. Uh, regardless of where you might be in your life. And that's, and I did, you know, like I said, it moved me when I saw it. I've seen it a few times since. And every time I see it, I feel like those emotions come back for me because the storytelling is just so powerful, you know, visually the performances you mentioned as well. I mean, everything we talked about already, but this is uh, in my opinion, a masterpiece. And so is my number one. So that's my number two. We cross over a little bit there on portrait of a lady on fire. And I will let you go first, although I'm almost positive we matched up on our number ones, Matt, because, well, I think we did. Go ahead. What's your what's your number one neon film? I mean, I would be shocked if we didn't have the same number one here. Truly. Yeah. It's Parasite. Yes, it is. It it has to be Parasite. (laughs) Without question, it's absolutely Parasite. You go ahead and talk a little bit about it. It's a really amazing and incredible thing where sometimes you watch a movie where it doesn't have to be the most epic story ever told. It doesn't have to be the most expensive movie of all time. It doesn't need to be the longest movie. It it doesn't need to have the biggest stars. It doesn't need to have all these things that sometimes people feel that a best picture winner or a film that's just going to position itself as one of the greatest of all time needs to have. You just need a killer good script, a director with a singular vision who knows what the hell he's doing and Mm. a great cast. They say casting is, you know, one of the elements of the filmmaking process that if you can nail that, you're pretty much already halfway there, or if not more so to creating a great movie. The cast of Parasite, the writing, the direction, the editing, the score, the production design, literally it's one of those just rare moments where sometimes you walk out of a movie and you say, yeah, that was great. It's one of the best of the year. Uh, Or you go, man, that's one of my that's my favorite movie of the year. But I think it's even rarer to walk out of a film and immediately recognize without a rewatch that that was one of the most in sync perfectly calibrated best films I've ever seen, period. Usually a rewatch has to confirm that or sure. Yeah. Over time, you'll just start hearing a lot more people chiming in and group think takes over. And then we all just assume, okay, yeah, well, everybody thinks it. So that's clearly it. But Parasite was a movie that right from the get go from its world premiere at Cannes, everyone just instantly knew right away that this was something very extraordinary. And Bong Joon-ho in terms of appreciation for where he was at that stage in his career. Um, it was like the perfect timing for him. It was also um, such an incredible award season story. It being a film that uh, people wanted to have in the best picture conversation. Everyone was fighting for it to get into that conversation. The critics were pushing hard for it. And mm-hmm. then it became 
all of a sudden in contention to possibly win, but it was never at any point the front runner. So it was always the right. underdog. So when it ultimately did have its, 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 its historic Oscar night as the first and only to this day um, international film to win the best picture Oscar, the joy, the collective joy uh, from people all over the world. Um, I'm sure yeah. you saw reaction videos everywhere on every corner of the internet. Um, Just it was like one of those man. very rare moments where everybody was united. This was like, you know, mm-hmm. t- I-, I feel like even though I wasn't alive during this time, I, I was wondering, is this what is this what it felt like when you know, something like the Godfather won best picture or something where everybody <laughs> right. just went, yes. And like, and, and we all right. agreed, you know, I mean, right, maybe sure. not because cabaret is pretty awesome too. So I'm sure there were some cabaret <laughs> defenders with the Godfather, but you know, sure. it, it, like I said, it, it, even like the 1917 once upon a time in Hollywood fans who would rank that movie higher, even they were like, yeah, this is, this yeah. is, that's sure. cool. You know, yeah, I, tip I, know. My, I tip my hat. <laughs> so yeah, no, I agree. There's just so many positive vibes, even just thinking back to outside of the movie, you know, like I said, from its world premiere at Cannes to its award season run to Oscar night. Uh, But even then, in the aftermath, like since then, just the adoration and the respect uh, that that movie has cultivated uh, in a very short amount of time since its release. It's only been four years, uh, but already people just regard it as once again, that using that M word, a modern masterpiece. And I find that, you know, every time I watch it, it's funny, it's exciting. It's got really great uh, thematic social commentary. um, And man, that scene where they go down into the basement for the first time, I will Mm -hmm. never, ever, ever forget the gasps from the audience of before the reveal of what ultimately is down there. This this like Mm -hmm. dreadful feeling of what is happening, like what is about to happen, like where is the story going? And even though like nobody was verbalizing that, it was a feeling you could just feel in the air uh, with an audience watching this. It was magical. And the whole experience of um, not just watching the movie championing the movie and then seeing its award season run um all of it all of it collectively just a magical time yeah no i it's my number one also i mean i agree with literally everything you just said i couldn't have said it better myself the the basement reveal about halfway through this movie i i mean obviously i love it obviously it's mind-blowing like you said and it, it does require that kind of like collective gas from whoever you're watching it with especially on that first time but there's just something to be said for the art of cinema being able to do that to an audience. And it had been, in my opinion, a fucking long time since that had happened collectively. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have this movie spoiled for you and you saw that initially, and I think you actually post something on Twitter this week about, you know, what movies really turn the tables on you. I can't remember how you phrased it. Yeah. Movies where like halfway through it. I mean, I'm going to phrase it the wrong way, but it's like, it's going one way and then halfway through mm-hmm. it's like dramatic left turn. And all of a sudden right. the, the whole movie has changed. Right. Um, Parasite is that movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's it. And it had been so long since we'd really gotten that as an audience. I felt like, you know, because it was a completely different movie after that, you mm-hmm. know, and it kind of like the narrative shifted and the plot points and the center focus shifted and everything was not what we had been watching before really. 
I mean, all those characters were still there and the societal, um, you know, commentary was still there, but like we were kind of focused on this fucked up story that was, that we were now introduced to, um, as a result of some of the other things that we've been watching leading up to it. Uh, you know, we could talk about this movie all day as far as the craft goes, but I mean, like the production design on this movie, how, you know, we're talking about the social commentary, but how the family is basically in the sewer and the, you know, the, the rain and it is literally coming into their home and, and then they have to go up. And when I say go uphill, I mean, literally like the steep embankment to get to the house, uh, that they're, you know, infiltrating there, that the parasite, of course. So I just love all the different things that are that are seemingly not a big deal, but when you kind of put it all together, it literally creates this beautiful, you know, it's like when you have the puzzle pieces, when you're putting a puzzle together and when it's done, you know, and the credits roll and the puzzle is put together, it's just this beautiful thing that Bong Joon-ho and the team created. And it's literally going to go down as one of the greatest movies of all time. In my opinion, I think it already has. And that's only at four years old. Uh, people laughed at me. I had a few of my friends on for my best movies of the decade that we did in like January of mm. 2020 and parasite was in my top 10 movies of the decade. And it had only been out for like six months at that point. And they're like, Oh dude, what, is, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you know, and that was before the Oscars and before everything. So, yeah. you know, but I kind of like what you said, like I saw it and I just knew like, this is not your this is not a normal movie. <laughs> this is like it's something very, upper is, echelon, you know? I, like I, I haven't had that experience happen like that often. Um, and there are some movies that I could maybe rattle off where I walked out and I, I just knew, like I just sure. knew right away. Social network is one, you know, right, sure. right away walking out. I, I just instantly knew that that was something special parasite i felt that and even trying to think of like other ones now it's it's tough you know it's like mm -hmm. you know even even great films like mad max fury road i will forever give uh credence over to those who say well you know it's kind of plotless oh it is repetitious or whatever people want to say about mad max fury road and it's like okay fine I, I defy, I dare anyone to tell me anything that's wrong with Parasite. Right. What, what can you say, you know? Right. I agree. I agree. So there we go. Our number ones matching up on Parasite. I saw that coming a mile away when, I, yeah. when we knew we were doing the episode. But I mean, like, you, I mean, like we're saying, it's just, it's the best in recent memory. It's mm -hmm. one of the best of all time. It almost had to be our number one. So there you go, Parasite. Yeah, we matched up on our number ones. Matt, we're going to take a quick promo break, and when we come back, we're going to list our honorable mentions real quick, six through ten, and then we will give some shout-outs to the fans online and see what they had to say. So everybody sit tight. We will be right back. Hello, listeners. Did you know that there is a lot more content where this episode came from? As you may know, we are an independent podcast and we rely on donations in order to keep going. Over on our Patreon site, you will find several ways to stretch your dollar. I am currently producing six exclusive series that you can only get there. They include popular ones such as My First Time and 100 G-Tunes. You'll also get regular main top five episodes, just like this one, super early, often weeks in advance. For as little as $1, you can help the show continue. Just visit us over at patreon.com slash two peas on a pod, or you can check the show notes for this very episode. Now let's get back 
to the countdown. Welcome back in, guys. As I said pre-break, I got my buddy Matt here from Next Best Picture, and we just talked about our favorite films from Neon Studios. And uh, I tell you, we had some good ones in there, man. We did, we did kind of go crossover heavy, though. Well, not too bad. We had two. We had two yeah. crossovers, so that's not I too th- bad. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's less than I thought, actually. So uh, I knew you love Spencer, too. So I kind of saw that coming, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, man. Why don't you give him some honorable mentions, Matt? What five didn't quite crack your top five that you have over there you want to shout out? Number six uh, is Flea. Mm, uh, a movie one I haven't that- seen. Oh, you need to watch that. Okay. Um, there's a reason it got nominated for Best Documentary, International, and Animated Feature. Should have gotten a Best Picture nomination, in my opinion, wow. all within the same year. Okay. I mean, if you well, if you think that the movie is one of the best animated, one of the best documentary, one of the best international, why wouldn't it be one of the best pictures of the year? <laughs> sure, yeah. So Makes sense. I highly, highly recommend that if you haven't had a chance to see that yet, truly. Okay. Um, then after that, I would say is the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. A movie that has risen for me considerably um, since I last saw it. You know, at the time when I first saw it, I I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was really, really well written. I thought it was well acted. But there is something about the relatability of that character. Because once I got past the frustration that I had with that character, then I started to peel back the layers a little bit more. And I started to really appreciate more so what the film was doing and uh it's not enough to still crack like my top five but definitely has risen up a few notches uh since my first initial viewing of it mm-hmm. yeah, then i, I would say uh next up would be i Tanya with uh mm-hmm. margot robbie sebastian stan paul walter hauser first time i saw him in anything too mm-hmm. what an energetic fun movie in a way that um i never would have thought was going to be possible with a film about Tanya Harding. Uh, also, too, a film that I thought did a really decent job of portraying domestic abuse. And mm-hmm. in, some, in some ways, uh, also just opening up our eyes to not necessarily having sympathy for Tanya Harding, but just a better insight into what exactly uh, she had to go through, especially with her relationship with her mother, played by Allison Janney, who I defend that Oscar win, even though she, she it, wasn't yeah. my personal preference. I don't think she's bad. And I'm glad that Allison Janney has an Oscar at the end of the day, regardless. I know he's like persona non grata uh, nowadays, but man, when I saw Sam Levinson's Assassination Nation back in 2018, oh my God, I was really captivated. Mm-hmm. by that story i love the way it was directed i was just so you, you know what like to me that was just such a rebellious film and i understood why it pissed people off my response to that at the time was good let it piss people <laughs> off because right. the stuff that that movie was talking about really spoke to me at the time I completely understand like Sam Levinson is not everyone's cup of tea and I have had some serious issues with some of his work since then. But mm-hmm. at the time watching Assassination Nation, I just I couldn't get enough of it. I I loved it and I still like it till this day. 
And then my last uh, one here is a fairly new one, but I wanted to make sure I threw a documentary in here because I think Neon does a great job with their documentary uh, features. Mm -hmm. Moon Age Daydream is a doc that I saw in IMAX in the movie theater. Transcendent experience. Truly felt like I was on drugs while watching the movie without taking drugs <laughs> and any yeah. movie that can make me feel that while I'm watching it. Aces. That's something Thank right. You yeah, for giving for me sure. the drugs without giving me the drugs. Thank you. For <laughs> right. That. Right. I don't have the hangover after. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned, you mentioned a few of mine, but we didn't talk about my number six, which would have been Palm Springs. Just such a charming and dear. I've, this, this movie came along like during COVID. So it streamed on Hulu. Because people were afraid to go to the theaters and everything was shut down and whatever. Mm-hmm. It just hit at the right time. Like it was just a yep. movie that made me finally feel good about like watching a movie without any kind of COVID protocols going on in my head. It was funny too, because we were all going through, you know, the repetition of lockdown and they said, the filmmakers, like we didn't plan any of this, you know, this is all right. just coincidental, the release of our film and it being about being stuck in these loops, you know? Yep. I think Palm Springs is actually one of the strongest rom-coms to come out in the last yeah. 10, 20 years. Yeah, I really dug that movie. I, I, and I think the rewatchability is pretty high on that, too. I love the characters like you connect. You know what I mean? You're not they don't get on your nerves. Like, I think they're both cute and charming and funny. And it's a it's an interesting spin on that kind of like Groundhog Day time loop scenario. So I love Palm Springs and I'm glad it's uh, streaming on Hulu whenever I feel like watching it because I love it. Yeah. You mentioned my number seven and my number eight, but it's uh, I also have I, Tanya and the worst person in the world. Uh, those are my seven and eight. My number nine nice. and ten, you, we did not talk about yet, but my number nine is Petite Maman. Nice. Also from Celine Sciamma. I kind of I think her <laughs> I think her style of filmmaking does something to me emotionally, because this is another one that I just was like in the feels the whole time, just like with Portrait. And it just really captivated me this this kind of genuine story of friendship but there's kind of like the story's kind of told in a way that you think this something's not going to be what it seems like it is but it's just so beautiful you know it's just such a charming innocent story and i love the runtime too i think it was like barely over an hour it was really i remember that it being really really it's really quick. short yeah yeah and then the uh, only other one on my list is a, a French horror film called Revenge. Oh, yeah. Re- yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that movie, dude. I saw that in the theater. That's actually the very first movie I saw when my local Alamo Draft House opened up. Oh, wow. So I have, I have like a special connection there, too, because it's my favorite movie theater. And um, it's streaming on Shutter now, but it's just this really cool, like, revenge story. I mean, it's basically this badass bitch gets revenge on the two guys that basically raped and tried to kill her. And she just Mm -hmm. goes, just goes back and makes sure she takes care of business. So it's it's very simple uh, or elements to it too. Very, very simple, but effective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there you go. Those are our favorite neon films, Matt, to wrap up every week. I just head over to social media to see what the fans had to say in the old suggestion box. So I just said, what is your favorite movie from Neon Studios? And I gave him the list of films to choose from. Mm-hmm. Let's see what they had to say over there. Patron and friend of the show, Jared, said Colossal and I, Tanya. Colossal was the very first movie they ever did. Did you know that? 
Yes, I did actually. And it's, uh, yeah. And especially like, I, I was actually a little bit of a flex here. I was talking with Jason Sudeikis a couple of nights ago and, uh, we were talking about Colossal and I was telling him how much I appreciated that he plays an asshole in Colossal and how <laughs> that should just be a signal to everyone at the range that Jason Sudeikis has uh, playing a role like that. And then, you know, seeing him in something like Ted Lasso. Uh, and right, I feel like right. not enough people have seen Colossal to know that. So. Right. Yeah. That's a cool point actually. Yeah. Uh, Joey Mills says Colossal. He also says revenge and pig. Those nice. would be his picks. Tony Dobbish says uh, memoirs or I'm sorry, memories of murder. I haven't seen oh, that. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny because that's a neon movie now. But oh, okay. at the time of its release, it predates the creation of Neon. So oh, I, wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't think to count that. But at the same time, yes. Uh, like now, yes. A big yes. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. man. Listen, if you love Dude. Bong Joon-ho and you like Parasite, oh, my God. Yeah. This is Bong Joon-ho basically doing a um, uh, a serial killer, uh, like uh, cop procedural film. Okay. I have to check that one out. I need to put that you one to the top of the list. Do. Tony also says Fire of Love, which was one of my favorite documentaries of this past year. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. Josh Raglan, patron in front of the show, says I, Tanya, Parasite, and Palm Springs, but he has a lot of blind spots in the neon filmography. Those are some good ones, though. No, those are good. Can't go wrong. Yeah, I know. Those are all good. Uh, Brad, patron in front of the show, says Assassination Nation. There you go. He also says I'm not Possessor. Alone. Drew Hallam, patron of the show, says Little Monsters. What do you think? Is that? Uh, that's yes. uh, Lupita, right? Yeah, uh, no, um, not Lupita. That was with uh, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson, okay. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen that one either, man. Another blind spot for me. Oh, and, and for the record, I'm, I confused Little Monsters with Little Woods. So that's my apologies. So it was the one with Lupita? Little then? Monsters was one with Lupita Nyong'o, and it was a zombie. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's my bad. Right. Sorry. No, that's the one I was. Th- that was the one I was thinking of. No, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, David Powell says uh, by a fair margin, Infinity Pool. What do you think? What do you think about that one this year? James, <laughs> where you going, James? Oh, she's so. I good, cannot man. get that out of my head. I like God, forever I entrenched in my brain is the sound yeah. of Mia Goth just oh, going crazy man. in that movie. God, um, I love her. I thought it was technically his best film, Cronenberg, that he had made today in terms of visuals and sound. But yeah. narratively, I had some issues with it, and I, I thought that the script could have been uh, worked on just a little bit more. David also mentions one that I haven't seen and frankly haven't heard of. So I'm sorry, but I'm assuming you saw it, but it's called Manos. Yeah, Manos. Manos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Manos. Saw that at right. Sundance of the year it came out as well. And um, that film if i remember correctly i think columbia submitted it for best international feature but it didn't it didn't get nominated in the end um okay very very gorgeously well shot and julianne nicholson's also in it too i didn't love it as much as, much as some other people did but i i thought it was a really uh, what's where i'm looking for here um striking uh vision okay. yeah all right cool Cool. Another one I'll definitely need to check out. Uh, let's see if there's there's a few more that we didn't mention. Jay Talbot says three identical strangers. That is a 
uh, document. Like that's like my favorite kind of documentary are the ones where they take these sharp left turns and then all of a sudden like they transform into something completely different than what you were initially set up to watch in the beginning. Um, right. Something like the the imposter is also like that. Mm-hmm. Just a- mm-hmm. any documentary that kind of like just takes these unexpected turns and um and i thought three identical strangers the way that that story was presented it was like one of the most shocking uh docs that i had ever seen up until that point sure sure amanda edmund now this one didn't get mentioned at all tonight until this very second which is somewhat surprising because it's in the conversation as of late but triangle of sadness sure yeah love triangle Oscar of sadness. Nominee. yeah great mm-hmm. movie man Let's see. Uh, Lindsay Dunn, friend of mine, says Spencer, Pig, Parasite, and The Lodge, which is also another one that has not gotten mentioned yet tonight. And it's also a horror movie. So I should have probably had that in my, in my list because I do love that movie. Riley Keough. Were you a fan of The of the Lodge? I liked it. Yeah. At that time, I was very much a hereditary is a masterpiece and pretty much any horror movie that's going to come out over the next year is going to pale in comparison. So sure, yeah. I thought The Lodge was good. You know, I didn't I, I didn't think it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen uh, or anything like that. I do remember seeing it at Sundance uh, at midnight and I remember being very tired and there was a jump scare in that movie that scared the ever living crap out of me. It made me jump. And I, I was awake then throughout the rest of the movie after that. So it was like the shot of espresso that I needed. Nice. Nice. Uh, and we'll end on my buddy, Michael Hill and patron of the show. He says he's only heard of about five of their movies. And the two that he loves are parasite and I Tanya. So I think it's going to be tough to not go out on a higher note than that. As we, as Matt and myself both had parasite at our number one as well. And we both gave a little love to I Tanya also. So there you go, Uh, Matt. We did A24 a couple of years ago. We did Neon this time around. I'll have you back soon and and we'll, I don't know what do. Yeah, like who's who's next? Yeah, right. (laughs) Briar Cliff Entertainment. Let's go. Bleecker Street. I don't know. Yeah, why not? I like Bleecker Street. Yeah, they they fight a good fight over there. (laughs) But I really do appreciate it, man. And I had to wait till award season was over, but it means so much to me that you carved out time to come. Hang out with me tonight and talk movies. I love doing it every time I get you on the show. And uh, as I said at the top, if you guys are into movies in any way whatsoever, you need to be following Next Best Picture. I know Matt just launched his YouTube channel as well. And definitely during award season, give this guy all the love because he puts so much effort into it. And um, I've had the opportunity to have even more of the NBT team here on Peas as well. And you guys are great. So just tell them where they can find you real quick, Matt, and look you guys up, buddy. Sure. So everyone can find me on the internet at Next Best Picture. Doesn't matter what social media platform you put that into. Uh, we're going to pop up somewhere, unless if we don't have a social media profile for it. But that's nextbestpicture.com, where we're always on the lookout for what is going to be the Next Best Picture Oscar winner. Uh, we do a podcast uh, pretty frequently uh, where we do reviews, interviews with people within the industry. And then we also have a weekly talk show as well where we talk about various news and current goings uh, within Hollywood and, of course, with award season. And now that we're getting into television uh, at the moment, we're also exploring what's happening right now in the Emmy world. So your favorite television shows are also getting coverage over at nextbestpicture.com. I love it, man. All right, so what's the next best picture? I'm putting you on the spot. It's Barbie, right? It's got to be Barbie. No, because the, the Academy will never go for a film called Barbie as, next, as the oh, next best picture. Man. 
What do you think it is, though? What did you have? For the record, I'm very much looking forward to Barbie. I cannot wait. Um, I. Sure. Oh, I'll snip, man. I'll, I'll snip this part out. March March of 2023, I, you said it. If you, if you had to ask me today, and I, this is going to sound so lame when I say it, but it has to be Killers of the Flower Moon right now. Because, Ooh, all right. Yeah, sure. No, because it's got... You know, it's got Apple behind it. They're going to push it extremely hard. Scorsese is, he's Scorsese. Um, Mm -hmm. It goes without saying. And I think that the film has the right blend of important social commentary, which is something that the Academy uh, seems to really be embracing nowadays about their best picture winners. Uh, Mm -hmm. While also, of course, it's going to have the pedigree uh, behind it to be just probably a fantastic movie and if i'm wrong well you can't hold it against me it's only march no, abs- no it's definitely a good it's a good option i don't i don't know i i'm gonna do a predictions video probably like in june or july so until then i'm just kind of soaking it all in i don't really know i, I mean I, I haven't really thought about what the next honestly we don't really dive into it either until we get to the summer um yeah it's just you know, so hard man it, yeah, right now that like, listen, we just came off of one. Let's focus on the Emmy stuff right now. <laughs> you know, when there when there's a worthy contender that comes out in theaters, believe me, you'll hear about it. Right now, yeah, like sure. a lot of people are excited about John Wick and could it receive uh, a nomination anywhere because the John Wick franchise has never been nominated for a single Oscar, which is crazy. And then everybody's talking about Air of a new Ben Affleck film and yeah, Happy yeah. Contender. It, you know, it could be. Yeah. Everything Everywhere came out in March. People don't don't forget that, you know, so. Top Gun and Elvis came out in May. That's right, yeah. Well, I know where I'll be tuning in to find out, man. I'll, uh, over at Next Best Picture. All his information will be down below, guys. Make sure you click that and check Matt out if you're not already. Matt, once again, man, thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right, guys, we will be back next week. We'll have another top five. Until then, everybody take care.